What is up, everybody? Welcome in. Crossing broadcast on a rational Tuesday, March 28th, 2023. Yes, it is me, Kevin, once again, introducing the show, engineering the show, running the show today. I don't have Pagan. Uh, I don't have Craig either. I don't even have Craig. I have no co-host. I have no producer. Got Bob going to come in in a little bit and join me and and, uh, save my butt today. But uh, yeah, they're out in Denver uh pagan's out in denver craig's out in denver they went all the way out there went all the way out there joel and b didn't even play and that ended up kind of uh being a turd so uh that's the situation they're flying they're flying back from from denver as we speak with no Embiid versus Jokic stuff let's bring in bobby there's bob what's going on man not much, man. Uh, good to talk to you. I'm sure that Kyle will make the most of it. I really, in a way, I kind of almost feel like the content might be even better uh, without without him be playing last night. I didn't have to say anything at all because I mean, because normally it would be like, you, you know, you're sitting there saying, "Oh shit," you know, we got to come up with like Plan B or whatever. I'd be on the phone or I'd be like, you know, scrambling or coming up coming up with some like alternative kind of thing, alternative kind of thing. I didn't do anything. I don't even think I'm, I I didn't call him. I didn't text him or anything. I think I just went on Slack and I was just like, I saw because I saw that he was like, "Fuck this, this sucks." And then I just pinged both of them. I was like, "All right, just do your best," you know. That's all you really have to do because I know the pagan will take it from there and, and make uh, make something of it, you know. But uh, yes, it's well, it's situation. it's kind of it's kind of interesting. So um, I know it's a rational Tuesday, and if I know anything about Sixers fans, especially the ones on Twitter, they're very rational people. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm kind of curious where you're at on this because, you know, obviously everyone hypes up uh, the, the Embiid-Jokic matchup. We all know uh, about the athletic article, and it feels like a really important night and an important day in this whole race and maybe the Sixers season and the way people feel about Joel Embiid, and then he doesn't play. So is this a matter of, hey, listen, he's doing the right thing. It's really about the postseason. Keep him healthy. In the grand scheme of things, who really cares? Or did they, did the Sixers, did Joel Embiid like, kind of spit in everybody's face with this thing? Like, is this a slap in the face to all of the people for the last three months have been living and dying by every Jokic stat line and, and Embiid clutch shot? Like, I, I don't get the whole, like, obsession with the NBA MVP. I just don't. Yeah. But a lot of people seem to really care. Almost about uh, caring about it as much as they do the fate of the actual team itself. So what's the takeaway from last night? <laughs> I think it's funny because I'm not I, – I, I really I, – I care more than I thought I would. And I'm sitting here talking to myself like, why do I care so much about this? Because you, you know, like, you know me better than anyone. I don't get too high. I don't get too low. I really don't give a shit about the NBA regular season. I mean, we spent – we barely talked about the Sixers at all this year on this show because we've kind of had the theme of like, we're keeping up at arm's length. It's like, you know, wait, wake me up when they get to the second round and we'll see if they get this the second round and all this. But you, you and I, Bob are sportsmen. Like we just like sport and competition better than anything. Right. We grew up playing. You coached. I refed. I still try to play. We try to be, we try to be around the game. Right. And sitting here trying to like, like talk myself into this, like in my own head, like I'm like, why? Because because when the news came down, I was like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck is this? I was like really mad about it because I'm like, 
it feels like it's all been culminating towards this, right? It's like the end of March. Embiid finally passes Jokic in like the in the odds, right? I think he came into it yesterday morning, Monday morning, minus one fifty favorite. Jokic was plus one eighty when the news came out. He dropped to minus one thirty. Jokic was plus one forty or something like that. Now they're almost neck and neck. I think Embiid's plus one hundred five and Jokic is plus one ten. I just, I just that's a roundabout way of of me saying I just want to see the best players go at each other on the biggest stage in in the. When, when it matters, you know what I'm saying? We're going to talk about how the NBA doesn't matter for, for most of the 82 games, right? How often do you get the number one seed in the West with the number two, with the current runner up in the MVP odds playing against the number three seed in the East, who's got basically the same record, by the way, with the current front runner for MVP, all of the stuff that's been ta- surrounding these guys. What drama and theater was it when Embiid dropped 47 on Jokic's head? The next time I wanted to see the return. I wanted to see the return match. I want to see part two. And we were denied because the Sixers fucking bungled it. They did. I don't don't hear any other. They bungled it. He should not have played in that back-to-back Friday, Saturday. Give Give him one of those games. Give him Phoenix off. Let him play on Monday. We wanted that. We deserve that. Sixers fans who have been with this team from the beginning, this is what they wanted to see. And again, they were denied that. We were denied that theater, and it was disappointing, Bob. I, I feel like you're reminded once or twice a week in the NBA that what you're watching doesn't really matter. It's mm-hmm. like there's this, it, it, whether it's it's implied or it's blatantly blatantly said when you when you see what happened yesterday with Joel Embiid. But like it's hard. Like I don't love the NBA. Like I don't love the NBA. Like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, but like liking things is great. Like if you love the NBA, you love the Sixers and you live and die by them on a nightly basis. Like that's awesome. I invite you to do that. Like liking things is is fantastic. But to me, it's like, how can you really get passionate about a product that on a weekly basis, you are told it doesn't matter. You shouldn't invest. You should not invest in these players. You should not invest in the outcomes of these games because it doesn't matter until we get to the end of April. It doesn't matter until we get to May. Mm -hmm. You're basically, Mm -hmm. it's an 82-game march of irrelevance to get to an 18 field or with the play-in, however it works now. It's it's a march of irrelevance to this playoff. And then it matters. And so the thing that I always kind of go back to specifically with Embiid, though, I see how passionate people get about this. And Bryce Harper won an MVP recently, and people wanted him to win it. And, you know, obviously people were invested in that. But I feel like there's a different level of investment when it comes to Joel Embiid and the MVP award. And is it because of the long road that that the Sixers had to go through and the fans had to go through to arrive at this point of, of true relevance? Yes. Is it? Is it a commentary about and a pushback on on media and NBA media like the Bill Simmons of the world? Is it that we're so aggravated by the arrogance of guys like Bill Simmons that Joel Embiid winning the MVP kind of flies in the face of that? It's like a pushback to to the talking heads of the world. Is it that? It's all of that. Is it a pushback to advanced metrics? You know, like what what is it that makes people so crazy? I mean, listen, like as a sports fan, right? You said we're sportsmen. I I grew up in this city. I love these teams. Even as I've become a journalist, you know, quote unquote, like I I still want these teams to win. And you know that. But like at the end of the day, like why, why do people care so much about this player this season? Because it's a referendum on this player as an individual, the process and Philadelphia fandom in in general. I believe all of that to be true. Whereas people are saying, look at the eye test, look at what this guy is compared to what he was five years ago, a guy who came 
uh, navigated two career threatening injuries, had a navicular bone, you know, didn't even start playing basketball until he was a teenager. Um, all of this stuff that you said about flying in the face of media and analytics and VORP and Raptor and all this other sordid bullshit, this, this is kind of a way to, uh, this would have been a way to solidify like narratives or storylines and say like head to head, let's put these guys head to head and see what happens again, you know? And then I'm going to like have my, my point proven or whatever, but I think people just want to see the star power of this guy who is the best 76 er in 20 years, maybe 40 years, depending on what you think about Iverson. They see it as a referendum to justify how good this guy is and how far he's come. And that's what that's what the NBA is more about this than anything because there's the, there's so few guys on the court is much more of a superstar driven league than anything um, that it just seems to mean more or matter more. But people have absorbed this thing to be like again I'll use the word for the third time a referendum on Embiid and and the, the process right and and proving that the process did you know give you something it gave you a future MVP right that nobody nobody thought at the time. So I think it's all of that stuff combined. So I think across the board, and I'm sure there, uh, there are a lot of different takes and reaction to what happened, but is this a matter of now blame the Sixers? Is it a matter of blame Joel Embiid? We all wanted to see this matchup last night. Yeah. Everyone wanted to see it. But I think that that's where there becomes a divide. So, okay, we're all disappointed that it didn't happen. But then what we do is, in wake of that disappointment, now let's assign the blame. So where does the blame go? Is it, is, is, does the team need to step in and say, hey, you know, listen, we should have managed this better. I mean, they're never going to do this. But, like, is this, is this about the team not managing the situation properly? Or is this about Joel Embiid yesterday probably had an opportunity to play in this game, and he told Sixers management, I'm good. And, yeah. and in yeah. light of that, right, like, and in light of that, so it's like a little bit of a two-part deal. Yeah. How should fans feel, these same fans that up until 24 hours ago were, were living and dying by this MVP race, should they be like, you know what? You're not totally invested. I need not be totally why invested. Should, yeah. Why, if you're not invested, then why should I be? That's the big macro level takeaway. Like, if you don't give a shit, why should I give a shit? Right. Because I, I, I can put my, like, Philadelphia sports, uh, you know, fandom. Like, we talk about how there's only a finite amount of energy to give. I only have so much to give. Me personally, I give about 95% to my children every day, right? I only have 5% left to distribute elsewhere. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm putting all of my energy, if I'm putting 30% of my energy into the Sixers and then they pull this kind of shit, I'm going to go maybe give 15% of that and reallocate it towards the Phillies. So like you're telling me right now that if you're a Sixers fan and you're at work and you're spending 35 minutes of your workday scrolling Twitter furiously, yeah. trying to find ways to defend Joel Embiid on social media, maybe you should take a step back. Or maybe if you're in your living room at night and your kids are running around the living room, maybe pay attention to your kids rather than arguing about VORP with people yeah. that follow Bill Simmons. Like, it's, is the that op- it's the me? optics of it. It's always the optics of it, isn't it? Because Embiid says, you know, he comes out earlier, I guess, and said, yeah, it'd be great to win MVP or whatever. Then he says, I don't care about individual awards. And it's like, okay, well, I, I think we all think that he would like to win at least one. You know what I'm saying? There's no, there's no way that Joel, there's no way that this guy does not want to win the MVP award. There's and he's no doing way. everything. See, here's to your point, man, it's kind of a two-edged sword here because it's like, you can't load manage Embiid and uh, and manage and and you know kind of adjust his minutes to land the plane for the playoffs and deliver him healthy to the playoffs while pushing for the MVP at the same time because he needs the games. 
that's the biggest knock on him in right. years. He just didn't play enough games. So it's like, okay, now you're playing enough games and you do this only to get to this point where you have eight left and then you sit him in the biggest game in the MVP race up till this point. Right. So it's like you gotta figure out what what are you what are you doing here? Right. He let's let's just go over the timeline real quick. Wednesday they play in Chicago, and let's just actually back it up before that. The NBA fucks them because they gotta play in Chicago. They gotta play in central time on Wednesday. Then they have to play on Pacific time on Friday. Then they have to play in I guess Phoenix is still Pacific time on Saturday. And then they gotta go play in Mountain Time. Right. A month. All right, so it was a cluster F from the beginning. Yeah, right? they played in four different time zones, <laughs> you know, in an eight-day stretch. You know, go back yeah. to last Monday against the Bulls in Philly. So Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So that is horrid. And you could say that you can even go back to the arena thing and say that the schedule ended up this way because they're the third, they're a tenant in their own arena, and maybe this wouldn't have happened if this is 10 years from now and they're playing in Center City, right? Put that all to the side. He comes out of the game in Chicago, plays only 16 minutes. They tell the, the broadcast says, well, it's about the score diff- point differential. We've got the video of him grabbing his calf. At that point, they should have made a decision, either play Friday or Saturday. But, like, if you want the MVP, we're going to play in Denver. Go head-to-head to, head to against Jokic. You know, I mean, it's like it, 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 there was an obvious path here, right? So how can you tell me that a dude who came out of the game on Wednesday with a calf issue is going to go play a back-to-back in California and Arizona on Friday and Saturday, only to sit Monday. It makes no sense at all, you know? No, it doesn't. And it just feels a little bit typical for this, for this team. I mean, from afar, as somebody that's not terribly invested in it, I just kind of shake my head and go like, I, I feel, I feel for people like, listen, is a, is a diehard, you know, growing up a diehard Phillies fan and a diehard Eagles fan. Like there's been plenty of heartbreak. There's been pl- plenty of aggravation and head scratching moments. I don't have that same level of investment, and I never no, did no, in the Sixers. No. Now, I root for them, and I want the people that, that love them to be happy, but I, I'm not as invested. And I just look at it from afar and say, like, my God, like the, the, the path that has had to be traveled for the last seven, eight years here has been just, unbelievably just, tough. Yeah, and, yeah. and here you are. You finally feel like you're starting to get some payoff. And I can't blame people for being angry this morning if they are. And, in fact, I find it puzzling if you're not. Yeah, and look, it, my, my final point on this, and then we can move it on, and then we'll get it back to the Eagles. My final point is, like, you got to pick a lane and stay in it. Nobody is going to sit here and say that sitting Joel Embiid ahead of the playoffs is a bad idea. Obviously, it's very pragmatic. It's very practical. The guy needs a rest. Yeah. You want him in the best shape. for the, Nobody can ever dispute that, you know? But it's like, if, if that's was going to be the end game here, then there should have been a plan in place to kind of right. manage that along. You can't get all the way this fucking far. We made it this far. We made it this far. He's the favorite for the MVP. He was going head-to-head against his biggest competitor that you make it this far to eight games left, and then he sits. It's like, what are we? How did we? how did we make it this far into the timeline and then it reverts back to what it was the last four years, you know, because if that was the if this was inevitably going to be the point, then they should have had the foresight to see that and say, all right, if, if we think he's going to need a break in end of March, early April, then like we got to decide now, are we going to push games for the MVP award or are we going to kind of pull back now and, and put them on a plan? And there well, doesn't seem to be a plan, especially with Doc who wants to you know, run these guys out for 40, 40 minutes every night. You know? Well, before you wrap the thought here, uh, does he win it? Does he still have a path to winning it? Or did, did that effectively end it last night? I mean, I know what the odds are. I see the odds. But you tell me, you know, what, what happens here? 
Well, I mean, here's here's the thing. And I apologize. This Justin pointed out that I have the wrong date in the corner here. Again, my producer is on a plane right now, so we're just going to say it's March 23rd. You know, um, what was the question? What is the end game here? Yeah, does he, does he win it? Can he win it? What has to happen for him to win it? <laughs> like, or or does he play three of the final eight games and he he just doesn't win it? Like, this what are we very, doing? This is very harmful because you know as well as I do. I wrote an entire column about this yesterday, and then it got totally like I should have just thrown it in the trash because like five minutes after I published it, the Woj came out and said that Embiid wasn't playing. <laughs> wasn't playing. So I wrote this whole thing about like the media because I, I don't think the media is biased necessarily. I think they're impressionable. That's the distinction I would right. draw. So you can have this amazing nuanced analytical argument about Vorp and Raptor and assists and all this bullshit, but if Embiid goes out and dunks on Jokic's head and puts up 50 points in a win in, in Denver, that floats to the top because the media likes moments. The yeah. media likes stories, right? You hear Kendrick Perkins. Normally we don't give a shit what Kendrick Perkins has to say. He's a voter. He's an MVP voter. He voted for Embiid last year. He's saying that he thinks he ducked Jokic and he's going to hold that against him when he goes to vote for MVP this year. So the optics of it is really, really going to hurt him. And I would not be surprised if Jokic goes on to win it you know, if they lose to if the Sixers lose to Boston and Milwaukee, and Giannis has a big game and, and whatever, and they end up at the third seed or whatever, and Jokic plays well down the stretch, he's going to fucking win it, right? And you can go back and you can point to this moment to say when did Embiid lose the MVP? It'll be the night that he did not play in Denver because because that's what the media remembers. You, you know, you grew up in the era of Stuart Scott with me, where we were watching highlights on Sports Center every morning. You know, Carlos Delgado Delgado, it, right? It was the big highlight. It was like the 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 big moment. Right. And, and those things are impressionable because no matter what you want to say about data or numbers or anything like the highlight, the story, the moment, that's always going to float to the top. And, and that's just going to be like that's just going to stick in people's mind. Are we getting it back to the Eagles now or what? All right. Now let's get it back to the Eagles. Um, there's two topics here as Baxter enters the room again. Um, I don't you know, you know the, the, the thing that got the most response on Crossing Broad yesterday was the fact that the rugby scrum middle, the tush push, the cheek push, whatever we're deciding to call it, is here to stay. And, um, you know, it was brought up in, you know, there's talk of like some teams didn't like it because they thought it was illegal or they thought it was not safe or they blah, blah, blah. But long story short, they didn't have enough opposition to it to bring it before the, what do we call it, the competition committee, right? And all you, all you need to know is that it's not changing. Peter King comes out and he writes in his column, Football Morning in America, that he thinks that the NFL is going to regret not doing anything with that because he thinks it's not a f- – his two things were that he thinks, number one, it's not a football play, and number two, that he thinks people are going to be injured by it. Um, you're a good gauge of, of these things. I'm curious, number one, if you agree with any of that, and number two, are you are you surprised that, that there was – that the way that the rugby scrum thing played out. Yeah, a little bit. I'm surprised about the opposition to it. Um, And I know that the the take here, at least in this city, is that, well, you know, listen, people are defending it more so because the Eagles perfected it. I mean, I would argue that you're probably going to see further implementation of it by more teams this upcoming season. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like the Eagles have some competitive advantage in running this play. All the teams are free to run the play. I've heard that people say it's aesthetically unpleasing. It's it's not it doesn't look good. It's not fun to watch. I don't see what's any less fun about the rugby scrum play than a regular quarterback sneak or a, a quarterback spiking the football to stop the clock for that matter. There's there's nothing aesthetically pleasing about those plays. So 
it, it seems like a weird, a weird take, a weird way to try to speak against this particular play. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. have any, I don't have any data that suggests like, I don't recall any Eagles missing substantial time having run that play last year. And I don't remember yeah. definitively on the defensive side, teams trying to stop it getting injured. So what, is there any data to suggest that this play is going to lead to an increased amount of injuries? I, I can't imagine that's the case. There is not. So, if we're so worried about that, then let's let's further uh, let's let's look at punts. Then let's let's look at punts and talk about how to alter punt plays because there's an injury risk there. I mean, like, what are we talking about? You know, Sean Payton said that he'll run it every time he gets an opportunity. If they don't overchange, you know, they don't over, uh, you know, they don't change the rule. Then yeah. go ahead, let's see it, and then let's see if the NFL reacts to it. If we have to see it five times a game, ten times a week. Three points here. Number one. Not every quarterback can run rugby scrum middle because not every quarterback can leg press 700 pounds, right? right? Do you think that like Matt Ryan is going to like take a snap and get pushed into the pile? Like he doesn't have the legs that Jalen Hurts. So he's not a dual threat quarterback. So the thought that like 32 teams are going to replicate this and I'll try it. Some of them will, and they should, but I mean, you, you have like, let's not forget the fact that Jalen Hurts is a quote unquote, I'm not going to call him a running quarterback. I'm going to say he's a dual threat quarterback and he can do these things, right? He's built for this kind of thing, right? Let's not forget the fact, by the way, their left tackle played rugby, right? Okay, so he's used to doing this shit, right? Number two, what is a football play? There is no definition of what a football play. Like you talk about spiking the ball. Spiking the ball is not a football play, right? So that's always a nebulous concept. And the beautiful thing about football and all sport is that design is always reinventing itself and we're always coming up with the next thing. We're always looking at creative things. Andy Reid did a friggin' ring around the rosy bullshit thing before they probably scored on the Eagles or something. But I don't know. They did not score on the play. But is that a football play? I mean, the Eagles effectively by the end of the season started to turn that that into an entire package of plays. I mean, they were running variations off of the scrub play. I mean, <laughs> they're running the pitch off of it. And, you yeah. kind of have to give them credit. I mean, they started to kind of expand the design off of the initial play. I mean, in, in effect, that is what football is. You know, hey, okay, now team's starting to adjust. They're preparing for it. Do we have anything else for them? And I mean, they like I said, they expanded to an entire package there. And I don't think that a lot of teams are going to want their quarterbacks involved in that. It's not even a matter of can they or, or are they able to. It's do you want to expose your quarterback to two or three uh, hits of that nature or those scrums of that nature per game if you don't have to? I mean, there were times yeah. as a fan last year, they, they certainly were able to pick up first downs in key spots, and I loved it. But there were times where I'm like, could we, could we maybe get a first down without having to do this? Like, could we maybe not, you know, make him susceptible <laughs> yeah. to this type of hit? If, yeah. if we don't have to, like maybe run a, maybe run a sweep, you know, maybe come up with yeah. something a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more yeah. traditional, but I just don't think that this is a situation where it calls for the NFL to outlaw the play. I think that's ridiculous. I'm yeah. surprised that this is a story. I'm surprised that it's had as much pushback as it has. The whole thing just comes across as very whiny and it does like, you know, sometimes I think Philly fans do this thing where it's like, they don't, they don't want us to win. You know, they don't, they always hate us, but like, there is like a little bit of this, like, if another team had run this play as successfully as the Eagles did, would we be having this conversation? Like, I do think it begs the question. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I There's always that mentality that comes with it. I, I think that where Peter King's – like, I, I didn't, like, crush him on the side or anything. I just tried to look at his argument and see if there was any validity to it. But when it comes to the injury stuff, like, the, the thing about rugby scrum middle is that there's no um, – uh, 
his example that he used was that he remembered somebody, one of the Chiefs players, tried to j- jump over the tried to time the cadence to jump over the pile and just obliterate Jalen Hurts before it. Right. Right? So you can talk about that, but there's otherwise there's no momentum in the play. This is not right. a kick for a punt return where gunners are running full speed and trying to kill each other by lowering the helmet. If an injury happens with rugby scrum middle, it's going to be like Jason Kelsey getting rolled up or like somebody landed on his leg or one of the linemen getting like an elbow or something because they're the ones in the pile. Poking eyes, punching the groin. Eyes gouged or something. Yeah, I mean, it's not It's not like these guys are not barreling into each other at full speed. They're, they're pushing each other at the – trying to generate – you know, momentum off the line of scrimmage. And isn't every single, can't every single play in the war, in all of football be boiled down to that? I think there's honestly less of an injury. I think rugby scrum is probably safer than your average football play. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're not going to be under threat of somebody building yeah, up. Yeah. You don't have the same type of impact. There's not the violent force that you have in other plays. Yeah, we need like the ESPN sports science or whatever to give us like the data on this or whatever. Oh, his top speed was 20 miles an hour when he lowered the crown of his head and hit the court. I mean, Hertz was injured on a, on a, uh, I was out of the pocket and he was moving, right? And he got shouldered or whatever. He landed on his shoulder, right? I mean, he's not going to land that way in the rugby scrum. So, so that was not, I didn't think that was a big deal. Um, let me ask you, let me ask you one more Eagles thing. You're a good, um, gauge of of loser energy or like legit energy or like when a guy's kind of you know being a goofball or whatever chauncey gardner johnson um you know like little snipes here and there the thing with the agent you know the fact that like he's taking 6.5 million dollars the incentives on on getting eight million dollars are based on uh you know whether the lion's defense is good or not um i was what's your read on him and all that shit that happened with him yeah, I mean, it, it reads to me like a guy who thought he was going to be valued a certain way, uh, and he wasn't, and he's frustrated by it. And I think that one of the things that people have to keep in mind, and I'll say this in, in fairness, like we live in a different world now, and the younger generations of people use social media in a different way. And so there are a lot of people in his age group that they go online and they they give you every little thought they have. They give you every little emotion they have. And sometimes, especially in moments of frustration and disappointment, you have a public forum. You want people to know how you feel. You want to, you want to take your shots. You kind of want to poke where you can, you want to be heard. And you know, people love, people love interaction. People love reaction. So like you, you post a photo to Instagram of your family or a brewery or something. Right. And you know, it's nice to open up your phone, 35 minutes later and see a bunch of likes on your, on your post or like a, Hey, beautiful family. Like that's part of the reason we post things. we like to get that feedback. It makes us feel good. So a guy like, uh, you know, CJ GJ, he, he posts to Twitter and he, lo- he probably loves the fact that 7,000 people are retweeting him and taking shots yeah. at him or saying like, let's go, man, you're my guy. Welcome to Detroit, bro. Like, there's like a rush in that. And I think yeah. that there's a little bit of immaturity there. Like, I think that there's a, a guy that, that wanted to take some shots at the Eagles where he could, like, I thought that the, the Lamar Jackson thing was a shot. at hurts a shot at the Eagles brand, a shot at like the Eagles fan base. He knew yeah. that he was going to get a reaction with that. I don't, I'm not saying that he's a bad guy. I'm not saying that he himself is a, an immature person or, or anything, but I feel like it's an act of immaturity. I, I will say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fair take. I mean, I don't think that the guy is. I'm not going to be some dude who's like. I think there's overreaction. Like when Javon Hargrave goes out and says something like, 
Well, obviously, it would have been a different game if Brock Purdy didn't get hurt. That's totally sure. innocuous. I mean, I, everybody was like blowing up that quote. I didn't even put it on the website because it wasn't even worth talking about. Like, it's just a run of the mill thing. It's true. The game would have been different if they didn't knock Brock Purdy out of it or whatever. But I didn't get anything. I didn't sense anything like sinister or malicious in anything these guys are saying. I just think it's a little immature. I mean, like I look back at when I was 25 years old, 26 years old, I was, I was like, like still a dipshit. I think that there had to be an, uh, at least a reasonable path for him to sign in his mind as recently as the Super Bowl, yeah. a, a guaranteed contract in the, I don't know, 18 to $22 million range. Like, yeah. I think he probably figured multiple years, probably set for life. And I mean, listen, I'm not telling you that six and a half with eight incentive doesn't set you up pretty well moving forward, but yeah. th- that's a different level of wealth and a, a more sustained level of wealth when you get the 20 million plus deal. Yeah. And so he has to be a guy that feels like this isn't really where I thought I was going to end up. There's some incentives tied into a one year deal. I got to go prove it. I thought I just proved it. I'm pissed. I'm a little angry about how this played out. And I don't know if I should be angry at my own expectations, my representation, the Eagles, the league, the market, whatever the case may be. I know that I just probably struck out on about $12 million that I was expecting to come get. I don't have it now. I'm going to let you know how I feel about it a little bit. Like, yeah. I, I can't, I can't kill the guy for that. It manifests in a way. And like, um, kind of this manufactured disrespect. You know, we've talked on the show before about how the Georgia players were coming out afterwards saying like, well, you know, everybody said we were going to go seven and five. Nobody, nobody said you're going seven and five. Yeah. Right. And then somebody else came, came out and did it uh, after they won. Like or the chiefs came out too. Like, Oh, they said we weren't even going to make the playoffs. Like really? <laughs> I don't like that. Cause I don't remember that. Yeah. I, I guess people were saying like, Oh, they lost Tyreek Hill, and you know, you know maybe that like there there's a downward trajectory. Yeah, can can Mahomes do it at the same level without the you know the take the top off the the defense element that Tyreek Hill brings to the table? But yeah, 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 at the same time, like you talk about loser energy, there is like it, it's kind of like hey, listen, I get the initial wave of it, but like dude, log off now. Like that's my thing with with Gardner Johnson. Like yeah, you made yeah. your point. Just go, go live your life now. Like move forward. And, right, right. Yeah, you know, yeah. I thought that that the the which quarterback deserves the the biggest deal or whatever the question was where he responds LJ for Lamar Jackson. I that that gave me Orlando uh, Orlando Scandrick. <laughs> you know, like that, that just felt like Orlando Scandrick. Yeah, yeah. Um well, interesting. Yeah, certainly an interesting uh situation there. I'm sure somebody will tell me to move on. Right? Somebody yeah. told me to move <laughs> on after I Nobody cares, move on. Yeah. It wasn't even 24 hours after he had signed with yeah. the uh with the Lions and somebody on Facebook would say it's time to move on. Yeah. Like, why is this a, a fucking day? Why is this a story? <laughs> why? <What? laughs> why is this a story? Cuz it's my site and I decided it was. That is like crazy. a uh, a crossing broad social media response. Uh that's on the Mount Rushmore responses. Move yeah, on, yeah. not a story. Yeah, my favorite is slow news day too. Slow like, news well, day, yeah. I can just sit yeah. on my ass and do nothing. I don't have to put anything on the site, you yeah. know. But I don't, I don't know if the company's gonna like that. So yeah. you know, I, just, I those are my those are I should do like my top ten favorite Facebook responses to to stories that we get. Nobody cares is number one. Why is this a story is number two. Slow news day is probably number three. M- move on slash let it go yeah. uh, would be number four. How many five, how many uh, do betters and be betters do you get? Do you get a lot of those? Do better. <laughs> that's an automatic like block or mute. Yeah, I can't stand yeah. that shit. Do better, be better. That's that's definitely banned for sure. Um, my other favorite one is just kind of like you know 
people saying like, oh, you guys are a bunch of libs or you guys are a bunch of like <laughs> magic or something. That could be like seven and six and seven or something. So maybe that's a post for uh, for later. But uh, so listen, um, the Phillies are starting on Thursday um, against the Rangers uh, in Texas. You know, the Reese Hoskins thing happens on Friday. Everybody's kind of like down in the dumps about it. You know, the kind of predicted 40-man roster is is released anyway. Some people think that some people are underwhelmed. You you got Harper, you got Hoskins, you got whatever. Um, Number one, your thoughts on Hoskins. Number two, I look at that 40-man and I'm like, it's infinitely better than anything that they've they've put out over the last couple years. I mean, Odubel Herrera. Yeah. was on the 40 to begin last year. I think Juris Familia was on yeah. it too. I mean, I, I get I get people feeling a certain way about it, but, you know, Trey Turner's on there. Kyle Schwarber's on there. Kassianis is – I mean, the trajectory is, is still upward. People should still be excited for this team. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, listen, I've heard some people suggest that this is the most talented Phillies roster they've ever seen, and I think that that might be a little bit extreme, but this is still a very good team. And the expectations are real. I mean, you're talking about a team that won the National League last year. They go out, they add a $300 million player who might be worth it in Trey Turner. Um, they have some questions. The, the Hoskins injury to me, uh, I'm not the, the number one Reese Hoskins guy in terms of like, I think some people in the city overvalue his, his game a little bit. But I think it's also disingenuous to sit here and say that a guy that's capable of hitting 30 to 35 home runs, knocking in anywhere between 80 and 100 runs, and, and can get on base in spurts, losing that bat from the right side leaves a hole in this lineup. And can you replace it in aggregate? Potentially. You know, does Derek Hall hit lefties? He, he can. How do you patch in the, the production from the right side when you're, you know, I, I don't know. There's some questions to be answered here, but there's a lot of questions to answer with every team. And you kind of just brought up an interesting name about Odubel Herrera. Like you go back to last season and the Phillies are not a perfect team here, but like they had Odubel Herrera, Adam Hazley playing center field last year. Like, and then you look and see where they get to by the end of the year. Like they can add, yeah. they can upgrade as the season moves along, but my one thought, like, just to keep it really general right now, is you come into this season and there's like this expectation that they can win the World Series or that they can get back to the World Series and compete for a division. And that's all true. I think that they're good enough to be in the conversation, but they're the third, they have the third best t- odds right now to win the NL East. And like, they are substantially behind Atlanta. Yeah. And yeah. they have the fifth best odds to win the, the NL pennant. Like, they are not the favorite. They're a good team, and you should be excited. But, like, they are not the betting favorite here. The path to reach the World Series is brutal. Like, this team has its work cut out for it. It's ironic in a way because the the first year that, like – I'm always one of those people who's like, I don't, you know, I don't need to see them play the Marlins and the Nats and the Mets, like, every other friggin' weekend. But but now I want to, you know. And, and ironically, we're not going to get that, right? Because I don't think they – I mean, so they open with, um, you know, the Rangers and then they play the Yankees. But they don't even play the Mets until, like, friggin' like it's like May, right? It's I think like it's like late May. In fact, yeah. they come out the beginning of the year and they go with the Rangers, the Yankees. They come back, they get the Reds. The yeah. Rockies, I believe, they see twice. They get the White Sox. Like, you're not getting those head-to-head showdowns early in the season with this schedule. No, no. And it's like it's just funny, man, because it's like probably the best that the NL East has – 
uh, like ever been, ever been. Yeah, I mean, last year they they had two 100 win teams, and uh, the third and the third place team went to the World Series. Uh, you know, so yeah, yeah. It's it's there's it's funny because they got right. They go. Um, I got the schedule pulled up now. They go Texas, then the Yankees, then they got three at home against Cincinnati, three versus the Marlins, and they got four at Cincinnati. So I hope you're ready to watch like ten straight games, thirteen straight games with like the Marlins and the and the Reds against the Phillies there. You know, but but I think it's I think it's um. You know, we talked on previous shows about how there just seems to be a lot more juice for it, and like site traffic reflects that. You know, yeah. um, I, I thought I thought that the uh, the World Baseball Classic, say what you will about the tournament itself, yeah, I thought that the way it transpired, you saw the the home run from Schwarber yes. uh, in the final. Trey Turner, Trey was out Turner the being on fire. It, yeah. The WBC, I actually think, created a little bit more juice for the Phillies, and there was already plenty of it after mm-hmm. what happened last year. But I actually think it added some excitement, and I tweeted out. And I'll mm-hmm. take the blame for this, but I tweeted out during the final against Japan, mm-hmm. the the electricity, the feel for the Phillies right now, the Phillies brand, yeah. I think I said, couldn't be any hotter going into this season. And then obviously Reese Hoskins gets hurt for the, for the year and he's out for the year two days later. And I do think that that puts a little bit of a, you know, I think that does cast a little bit of cloud over this thing. Like it, it, it does dampen the, ex- I don't know, dampen the excitement a little bit. Um, for me, yeah. I mean, I really do. I think it's a big loss. I think he's a legit piece of that clubhouse. Um, and he's a really popular player with a lot of fans here. You know, I know he's a, a, a target for some people, but, you know, I think that the overwhelming majority of the city loves the guy, at least on a human level. And, uh, you know, it's hard not to, to be a little bit bummed out by that injury. Here's my thing with first base is like, I, I you know, they're going to give Derek Hall a shot. Um, it seems to me like it'll be a short leash kind of thing. My uneducated or like, let me apply other sports to baseball kind of take is like, I know people are talking about this idea of having Boehm come over and, you know, when lefties are up, having Boehm come over and play first and then like have Sosa or somebody else go over to third. I mean, my thought is just that like, I remember all these great defensive plays that Alec Boehm made last year at third. And I'm, I just like, I'm wondering if like, if you move him around, does that fuck with that? You know I mean? Like you want to like leave a good thing where it is, or do you, do you see them kind of, switching it up and, and and kind of adjusting first base based on the matchup. Yeah, like the Alec Bohm to first base thing is um, – I feel pretty strongly about this. Number one, it's not as easy as people think it is to just take a player and then dump them over at first base and it, it work. Like it's not a seamless transition. I, I would concede that playing third base is more difficult than than playing first base, like just in a vacuum. But like there are – there's footwork. There's repetitions that need to be had. I don't expect, like, I don't think you just say, oh, that guy was a mediocre third baseman. All of a sudden, he's going to be a plus defender at first. I think that you're going to see some problems over there. The bigger issue as it pertains to Alec Bohm, where I really hesitate, is that this is a player that's gone through quite a bit. He had to overcome some defensive shortcomings early in his career. Disastrous, I would even say. And he was able to do that. And he was able to overcome some really big-time struggles in his second season at the plate. This is a guy that really finally seems like it's hitting his stride. He's comfortable kind of feels like he's on the brink of breaking out. And if I don't have to mess with that, I'd really like to not mess with that. I'm not a big believer in the idea that like Scott Kingery all of a sudden couldn't hit anymore because the Phillies decided to make him a super utility guy a few years back. Like I know a lot of people blame Gabe Kapler for Scott Kingery not panning out the way he was deployed defensively. I think that's totally bogus. I really do. But at the same time, when you consider what Alec Bohm has dealt with and where he's kind of been and where he seems to be going – I really don't like the idea of changing changing this up out of, of an emergency situation. It just 
It doesn't yeah. feel sustainable to me. It doesn't feel like it's the right move for the team or for the player. I think they've got to find alternative ways to patch that up. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing if you're just going to platoon guys and and you know look at like, hey, do we have a lefty or a righty tonight? But then when that when that's packaged with having to move somebody out of a out of a their current position, like I'll give you a quick because I know you're such a huge Philadelphia Union fan. <laughs> but the union game, the union did that the other day. They moved one of their midfielders back to play D mid, and he's capable of playing it, but he hasn't done it all year long. And they gave up two goals in ten minutes. And it's like they're just these guys are are familiar. Like like I don't think people really understand how like habitual how how uh, what's the word I'm I'm looking for how how like rhythmic and habitual athletes are. Like they just they get into like routines and it's just they they find this like groove and this this comfort zone and like if you have a good thing don't fuck with it if you don't have to which we may be doing right now as they add rust to the show um <laughs> but i you know what i'm saying like it's not I, I don't like it's not it's not that anybody's like opposed to like look i think can, can alec bohm go over and play first but yeah i'm sure he can right but i mean he's playing great at third it's like if don't break it if you don't I guess it's an elaborate way. Maybe they have to. Maybe they have to do that. Like, my thing is I would – my first course of action would be to not make that change. Try to keep stability at third base when when possible, where possible. If it does not work, I mean, you consider what the expectations are and how good this division is. They're not going to have a lot of time to fuck around. Like, they've got to make it work. And so if it doesn't work those first two weeks and they have to start playing out, boom, over first base on a more consistent basis, try to, you know – bring a little bit of extra pop and get another right-handed bat in the lineup. Okay. But I just wouldn't start there. Let me ask you one more thing. And then Russ, you, the floor is yours to say whatever you, you want to say. Um, number one, Bob, were you, did you think Kingery had a shot at making the bench and number two, um, I, I guess Guthrie and cave are the final two guys or whatever. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that in general? Yeah. I mean, the Scott Kingery thing is interesting. I mean, he's been so disappointing. And when you are told that a guy is going to be the next Dustin Pedroia and it doesn't materialize, you know, there's going to be some backlash. And so there are people I think that totally discredited and discounted his spring training, which was phenomenal this year. Like, and if you did, I understand it. You're like, I've been down this road before. I've seen him have big springs. I'm not falling for this again. And I, I get that. But, I mean, that spring training did happen, and he was impressive. Like, he's put himself on the radar here to be a call-up if they need one. Um, I didn't think that he should. I, I, I didn't expect him to make the opening day roster. I didn't think that he should. Um, he needs consistent at-bats. He has to try to build on this momentum that he's, he's generated down there. And him playing once every three or four nights isn't going to do that. And so I think that what you need to see is can he sustain this start when he goes and plays at Lehigh Valley? And then he's probably the the first guy up. Should they need that utility role type player? And if he can if he can build on that and salvage something in this final year of a unbelievably poor contract, then that's a great story. Um, but I don't think the Phillies are necessarily counting on it. And I, I wouldn't have started with him up. That's for sure. Russ, what's up with your background? Are you at like the YMCA pool or something? No, I I, I put some acoustic panels up here because oh, um, okay. the the new the new office. Uh, was a very live room. Okay. So I had to do some black and orange and gray and white there. It looks kind of yeah. like a, yeah, like a, I can, I can do different levels. It depends on you know, content. A, so a snow, the goalie soccer ball. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. The vibe yeah. I'm getting. Yeah. What do you think about the Phillies? You know what I think is upsetting. And I, I said this in the comments of the YouTube video is I feel like so many people right now are hedging because they don't want to get hurt. That the way that people are talking about the Phillies right now is almost as if last year was a fluke and they're afraid that if they say that they think the Phillies are the best team in the NL, 
uh, that they're they're worried that they're going to get called out on it later in the season if it doesn't pan out. And like I think that the Hoskins injury sucks, um, but Dombrowski to this point has deserved the benefit of the doubt on everything. And if if this team gets to the trade deadline and they're not getting the appropriate production out of first base, Dombrowski's going to go out and make a move. Middleton's going to fund whatever he needs to fund to make it work. I don't know if I've ever felt as confident in an ownership um, as a Philadelphia sports fan as I do with Middleton right now because he he has opened that checkbook up in a big way. He's, he's done everything he can to back it up. And I even said last year, prior to them making the run, that I almost felt bad for Middleton that he had opened up the checkbook as much as he had and fans still weren't coming out, you know, throughout the s- different parts of the summer. Uh, he, I mean, he's gone all in. He's done everything he can to this point. And they're not, they're also not like meaningless acquisitions. They're not kind of like what Cohen's trying to do with the Mets. Um, I, 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 I just, I feel like we should be able to say, if, if you think that the team really is the best in the NL, you can say it. If you really think that the Braves are going to be the best team in the NL East, that's fine. I, I, I don't know. I think there's a winning DNA with this team. Uh, it, it's going to, it's really going to come down to how quickly Harper comes back. Is he going to be the guy who only comes back for the second half of the year and hits 230 like that wonderful ESPN writer said? I don't think so. I think it's going to be good. I think yeah. they, they have so much skill. I think they can play a whole bunch of different ways. I think they can play small ball. They, we've, we've seen if, if Trey Turner is able to even replicate, I don't know, a quarter of the power that he showed in the WBC, you're in good shape. You're in really, really good shape. Um, People can't lose sight of the fact that really the Phillies season did not begin last year until June, right? I mean, they fired the manager and they had to come come back around and promote somebody. So, I mean, you could go back and not even count that, right? They're coming to say what you about the injuries. They're coming into this season with a legit manager. They're coming in this season with Trey Turner. Like, like how can you not like? There's a like we, we Harper's diagnosed and had the surgery and he's going to come back at some point. There's there's no question marks. About they're like, what is what is the biggest question mark going into the Phillies season this year? Ranger, I think Ranger Suarez their opening, their opening day starter. Yeah, I think that there's uh some some real concern, and there should be some real concern about what the back of that rotation looks like right now. I mean, let's just assume that Bailey Falter would make for a pretty good fifth starter, right? Mm-hmm. But he's basically been slotted up to a fourth guy now. Now you you went out and you took a guy that's supposed to be a bullpen piece for you, and he is your fifth starter right now Matt Strom like that's not that's not an ideal solution um because guys like Nick Nelson he's hurt Christopher Sanchez another depth piece in the rotation he's hurt these guys are all behind like if Ranger Suarez misses a meaningful amount of time the Phillies have a total question mark at five and Bailey Falter at four that's not a a rotation that I think can compete with the likes of the Mets and the, the likes of the Braves the, the Phillies are a good team. I think they'll win 90 games. This will be the first time since 2011 that the Phillies win 90 games if they do it. Um, but I just think that they are considerably, in, in terms of how they finish over 162, I think they're considerably behind the Braves. And you know why? That's not a, a super spicy take. Because they were considerably behind the Braves last year. So, no. you know, I think that the Phillies, like Russ alluded to, there's like a winning makeup here. I, I would concede that. Um I think this team will be a tough out in the playoffs when if they get there. I, I believe they will. But, you know, this it's such a weird time to be a Phillies fan because you should be super excited. But you also have to understand, like, this is a tough road ahead. And things can go wrong. 
So um, the Flyers Carnival was on Sunday. Anthony got was in the dunk tank. He got dunked by Val Camillo. Where were you, Russ? Were you like hiding in the bathroom? Were you trying not to face the music for all of the shit that you've said about the Flyers over the last? One thing that one thing I can't be called is a coward. Okay. So what happened was what happened was uh, up until the day before I was committed. I looked at my calendar, guys. I'm sure that you've had this with your wives as well. You have a shared calendar. So I, I go on my shared calendar and I see that my best friend's wife, they're having a brunch. I'm like, all right, well, that means all the couples have to go. I'm not going to bail on my best friend's wife's thing it was for her birthday. She's about to have her second child. So all the best to her. But I, I'm like, I can't I can't bail on that to go down to the Flyers Carnival. So the night before I mentioned to my wife, hey, you know, where, where, where is this thing even happening? And she's like, you're not going. It's just for the women. I was like, ha, ha, ha. No, so, no. so the night before the carnival, I text Bundy and Anthony. I'm like, I'll see you guys tomorrow. So I'm like rushing the family out on Sunday, grab a couple of tripods, like working, grab all the, the equipment to take down, get down there. Anthony is like MIA because he was at the dunk tank. Bundy shows up. Start, I, I will tell you, Bundy signed so many autographs at the carnival in like the, the bit of time that I was with him before we even set up, I think he, he signed no fewer than 25 autographs, took pictures. He was actively calling people over who were just like trying to snap a picture of him, which was really funny in a sense, yeah. but he yeah. was like calling people over to like, you know, like come, come take a picture. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Don't I be like really... the weirdo, like picture taker from afar. I remember Susan Barnett did that one time when we were at eyewitness, we were at like an eyewitness news party and somebody was just like creeping, like tried to take a picture of her. And she's like, come over here and we'll take a picture together. Yeah, you know, I think that people, like like I think paparazzi. people felt weird about trying to do it like while the show was going on, like they were afraid yeah. they were going to interrupt or whatever. And we even had uh, some yeah, people yeah. tweet at us like, "Hey, yeah. like it was really good to see you guys." You know, yeah. wish I had you know stood and taken a picture or whatever. But like that was a thing, and like it was it was it was really nice. Um, so that was cool. But uh, we actually had so Sean Coit, who's the VP of Public Affairs for them, so he's like their comms guy, right? Sometimes critical, sometimes complimentary. We'll send a message if he feels like we got something wrong. He ends up walking by during the live telecast, so we we put him on. I call it telecast, the live broadcast. So we put him in my we chair. Put Coit we, on the show. <laughs> we put Coit on the show to get his live reaction in one of the boxes uh, of uh, Anthony getting dunked in the dunk uh, tank. So that was pretty. That was a pretty uh, fun. See, it's all fun and games here, you know. It's all we're all we're all having fun and games. Like sometimes you say some shit about how bad the franchise is. <laughs> They may come back and leak to the Inquirer. It's, it's all good. You know, what? I mean, yeah, shit happens. I don't want to get angry. I don't want to get angry. I told myself I wouldn't get angry. Let me ask you this and check uh, check your thing, Russ, because I think that echo is coming again. Go into the settings and do that. See if you can do that echo cancellation thing there. You're in my ear. Yeah, because um, I hear feedback coming from somewhere. Um, here, let me do this. All right, let me try that for you. <laughs> um, does the resignation of Dave Scott combined with Chuck Fletcher going, how, how much does that move the needle for everyone? By the way, I think that's Bob. Um, I think the Hilferty thing is really big. I think that there's reason to believe that there's a lot of good that can come of, of Hilferty getting put in that position. Hilferty, ultimately, as long as the Flyers are able to keep um, the Sixers in, at the Wells Fargo Center – Hilferty's appointment is going to be the most important thing for, for that organization and for Spectacor. Um, he's the only guy right now in terms of a power player who I think can actually make a difference when it comes to checking Adelman, who's been kind of, you know, running the, yeah. the center city or the, the Chinatown arena thing. Right. 
So Hilferty from an organizational perspective is really good for Comcast Spectacore. I think that that kind of goes without saying. Mm-hmm. The the thing that's interesting is how this affects Valerie Camillo because Val Val Camillo is somebody that we went after cons- like quite often um, for her first like year or two with the organization because when she initially came in, what we had been told by a lot of people was she's not as concerned about the history of the team or the history of you know how things have worked and you know she wants to kind of blaze a trail and that can work sometimes and then in a city like Philadelphia it doesn't necessarily work you have to you have to be willing to understand why, why this city and why these fans are a certain way and kind of make it work. Um, this past year, she has done an incredible job on the business ops side at figuring out how to reconnect with the fan base. The reason that arena hasn't been ridiculously empty all season isn't because the team's been good because they haven't been. It's because they've been working with community groups. They've been working to give tickets away. They, I, on that side of things, they've done everything they possibly can. The hockey ops side was the problem. It's been the problem for, you know, 18 months, two years. Them finally firing Chuck Fletcher into the sun and now sending the cabal out to pasture is what's ultimately going to give people some hope. It's, I think, the first time anybody who's not a delusional Flyers fan has actually felt hope about this team and this organization in probably three or four years. So it's all good. I mean, it's hard to complain right now. Okay, so let me just get the timeline. You can listen to Snow the Goalie, by the way, if you want to get get more on all this. The timeline for me, like, okay, so we, we, we're going to add a president of hockey operations. They've got to decide whether Danny Breer is going to be the GM or whether he's going to be interim. Uh, that may have already been decided. It needs to be announced, what, whatever they choose. As of right now, though, I mean, if they don't move on any of that stuff, Breer would be running the draft and making the decisions if, if it gets to that point. Yeah, so there, here's, here's your problem, okay? If you look at three positions that, in theory, would have to be filled out, four kind of, right? The initial thought, this was weeks ago, by the way, when Anthony wrote the thing for Crossing Broad about Fletcher getting fired. There are more changes to come. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was was alluding to Dave Scott. It's been Mm -hmm. known for a bit that behind the scenes, Dave Scott was going to probably retire, be given the the opportunity to retire. Mm -hmm. So you had to replace the CEO. You had to replace the president of Hockey Ops. You had to replace potentially the GM and the coach, right? So in any situation, you would want to go, all right, CEO's in charge. Put that person in place, let them hire the president of hockey ops, let that president of hockey ops hire the GM, and then let that GM and president of hockey ops hire the coach, right? That's the Mm -hmm. logical progression. But what's ended up happening here is you fired the president of hockey ops, left him out, brought in an interim GM, kept the coach in place, hired the CEO. But what's effectively going to happen now is this offseason, they're going to try to hire a president of hockey ops who is going to have to keep Briere in his GM and Tortorella in his coach. Mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. you would think conceptually should limit all of your, your potential options because what president of a team is going to want to go in and be told, this is your GM, this is your coach. The thing that's good is this is a legacy job. This is a job that if you are part of the thing that turns the Philadelphia Flyers around, that goes down as one of your marks on your legacy that you help to turn that team around. And Briere and Tortorella get along. They have a, a shared vision. They have agreed Tortorella has spoken glowingly of, of Briere going back to you know his initial hiring. So if you're the president, you come in. Those two already get along. Like this, hey Russ, let, let me ask you yeah. a question. So like when you look at the Phillies, uh, Dave Dombrowski's president gets all the credit for roster construction, all the moves. Sam Fold is the GM. He's obviously an important part of it, but not the guy that really receives all the credit. 
structurally speaking, how will this work with the Flyers? Like, is is Danny Briere Sam Fold in this equation, or is, does Danny Briere get a little bit more of the credit as the GM, as the architect, the guy that actually is driving the personnel decisions? Briere will get more of the credit because, like, if if you're one of the people who thinks that like Shiro could get brought in, who's got you know, a lengthy resume to be the president of hockey ops, people aren't going to look at it and say, these are all his moves. Right. I think that the idea here is that what you'll see is Dan Hilferty at some point will publicly state when they ine- inevitably remove the interim tag off Danny Briere. Um, you know, they're, he's, he's going to say like Danny and, and Tortorella are aligned in their vision and whoever the president of hockey ops is there to facilitate and is there to kind of help oversee the the structure of the organization, you know, scouting, et cetera. But I think it's it's going to largely be seen as the moves that you'll see made are going to be Briere moves with the you know stamp of approval from Tortorella. Yeah, but here's the problem. Like I I, I like Danny Briere as a player. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. Is he not another fucking dude who's an alumnus who comes from like this mindset of like we're gonna just bring people through the system who have been connected to the Flyers in the past? And do the do fans feel that way or is this a special exemption like i you know what i'm saying it's like do we do we are, are we going to take it to like 95 percent and blow out like most of the people who are like involved in this only then to have an alum alumnus running the show anyway i mean did we did we get anywhere by doing that i guess is the question i'm asking it's a fair question the the belief right now is that that has been passed along is that he's going to be radical and that he could very well gut much of the front office. The only person that I'm like very skeptical about him being aligned with and possibly keeping is, is Flair, the assistant GM. Brent, Brent, the, Brent Flair. Yeah, and, and the, uh, not Rick Flair. And not not Rick, Charlotte Flair. Not, not Rick it Flair. Is Russell, it is WrestleMania weekend after all. <laughs> um, Flair, Flair, the only reason that you would keep him is if you really think that his drafting and the guys that he has personally you know, stamped as being top players – if he really is like a draft savant, then that's the guy that I guess Breer is going to go to bat for. There's also a belief that potentially Flair was trying to convince Chuck that a rebuild was the way to go, not the retooling or whatever nonsense, uh, you know, Fletcher was peddling out publicly. So that that's kind of a hard part of this. I, I totally get it, though. You know, there, there's a scenario here where you go about this restructuring in this wonky way with the GM already in place, coach already in place. He removes some people, but you know, there's still, I, what you can say is the senior advisors will be gone or will be, you know, on the periphery, not having any influence. Like you will not see Clark Homer, Bill Barber. They'll, they'll be put out to pasture. They'll, they'll be, you know, appreciated for what they've done, et cetera. But like Briere is not going to take their input. I don't believe. Uh, But in three years, do we come back here and say like, it was a mistake to not open this thing up? Maybe. I mean, I, I'm still very much of the belief. Hilferty should say uh, GM, coach, president of hockey ops are all open. They're all open to uh, evaluation. I want the best president of hockey ops. If that guy or woman decides that Danny Breer is the GM, cool. Not cool. If that president of hockey ops comes in and says, John Tortorella is not my coach, you know what? Then that's the way you have to go. I just don't see it happening. I don't think that's how this is going to play out. For better or worse, I'm not, not totally sure. Uh, a couple minutes left here. We've done one hour. I'd like to just point out how nicely balanced this show has been. We did about 15 minutes on the Sixers. We did 15 minutes on the Eagles. We did 15 minutes on the Phillies. And we did 15 minutes on the fly. I mean, this is the show for the true four for four 
a Philadelphia sports fan. Um, I could just wrap it there. However, uh, Bob, Russ, start with Bob. Uh, final thoughts, anything on your mind of topically that we did not get to or that you want to tell the people? No, man. Um, I think I think that's great balance, a great job. I'm a little bit surprised that we didn't get into more union today. Uh, maybe next time I'm on the show, we could do a, a deeper dive. I am yeah. kind of curious about their early season struggles. Is this just a matter of yes, not yet being truly motivated? Uh, or, you know, is there something a little bit deeper here that, that we need to explore? Yeah. Well, yeah, hopefully that'll be coming soon. Well, uh, when I get Curtin, I'll get Jim Curtin on the next show, and you can be the co-host too. I'll feed, <laughs> I'll feed you some questions. I've been trying to shy away from that. Actually, they're not playing very well right now. I don't want to publicize that too much. They'll figure it out, and then I'll write like the I'll Kevin. Write- actually, I do have a, a union question for you, and, yes. and I, I want you to address this to the people. Okay. I uh, would say it's it's uh, you you don't root against uh, Philadelphia sports teams by any stretch. I would I would say that you are a desensitized former Philadelphia sports fan is how I from afar would uh, kind of classify you. Correct. I get the sense though. And, and I don't know when I, when you, when the union play, I feel like you have a little bit more, you know, passion for the union. Like, is it, is it passion for the sport or is it passion for the union? It's more passion for the, the, well, it's a little bit of both, but I want to see them, get more respect you know what okay. i'm saying there's nothing to when we're talking about the phillies or the eagles or the sixers or the Fires, there's nothing to grow is that more within the uh more respect like within the scope of actual like uh mls like no more respect, respect locally okay. more respect within the city is all you know because like all uh, we've the, the flyers are established the phillies are established the sixers and the eagles are established i think they, they were like look, the honest truth is like this the union were like really really fucking good last year and for everything that everybody says about like all their things that they love in Philadelphia athletes, oh blue collar, like hard work, we're going to play defense. I mean, they like they did all that, and they have local kids, and they have a local coach. Like everything that everybody says that they want from Philadelphia sports is what the union are, just in soccer, right? So I, you know, I just want them to be given the respect that they're due. And when we were like beat writers for the union or whatever, we were we were getting paid peanuts. We weren't making anything. But it always felt cool because it was like you're trying to help like grow the game, like trying to get yeah. more eyeballs on it, trying to get more people involved or whatever. But yeah, I mean, of course, I grew up playing the sport. Like I want to, I think I'm more like like biased against that, I guess you would say. But um, it also like goes out of, it's also deviates from like the normal path. I don't do union stuff every day. I do Phillies, Flyers, Eagles, Sixers, right? So that's like the routine. And then when the union come on, it's like, all right, I'll put a little bit more into this. Or, like look at it differently because I'm not writing about it on the site every day. You know what I mean? Fair. Yeah. yeah, Bob, it's like it's like when we wrote all the DraftKings FanDuel Caesars Bet MGM and then Bet365 came out with a great deal. You know, Bet1, Get365, you can find that on CrossingBroad.com. Uh, only available in four states. But, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, Kevin, what do you have in the bookcase back there? I don't, what item does he want to see? I've got many items back there. Uh, I think maybe to... he just wants you to select one and feature it. I think he just wants you to stand up, show off the, show off the, lower, the lower half there, Kev. I have a signed WISP Philadelphia Eagles mic flag. That Spike Atkins signed that? <laughs> I have no idea who signed this. Um, my wife used to work at WISP, so she had all this like memorabilia from back in the day. I have no idea who the fuck signed this. Uh, but that's one item. So Maybe we'll do a charity. Maybe we'll do a Crossing Broad charity event one of these days. We'll do giveaways. Anybody who Ooh. donates to our charity, Eagles Autism Foundation, you get 
put in a drawing to win a signed 94 WISP mic flag. I've got some great stuff in the basement. I've got a signed Mitch Williams FC Kerbeck. Yeah, here you go. Uh, FC Kerbeck, my father, a former employee of FC Kerbeck. We have a Brian Westbrook signed mini helmet here. That's exciting. I got a Devontae Smith bobblehead. This this closet here, by the way, that I never opened is full of memorabilia. Hang on. This is like unboxing with a. I have an unused box of tissues from uh, from uh, Merrill Reese's uh, booth at the Eagles games because you know it always sounds like he's got a sign. So, well, well, Mike, uh, once again, I am broadcasting live. My sinuses have been impacted for quite some time. Do you keep that uh, at your desk, Russ? The box of yeah, tissues, right here, <laughs> right there. Maybe the maybe Merrill. the biggest prize in the Crossing Broad charity thing will be Bradford White water heaters. They'll come to your house <laughs> and we'll install it just for you. My impressions aren't as good as Russ's, but I try. We used to do them on Always Soccer back in the day. Russ, Ted wants to know if we're getting Snow the Goalie episode later this week. Yeah, I think so. I think we're going to do it tomorrow. I have to, I have, to have something done uh, this weekend, so I will be out of commission this weekend. Um, Anthony, ha- Anthony also has something going on, I think, on Thursday. So I, I think tomorrow is going to be the day for Snow the Goal, the Only Flyers podcast, People's Podcast, Players Podcast. podcast. <laughs> well, good show. Thanks for jumping on. I think we did well without Pagan and Craig. Um, we had the, I had the wrong date on the corner here, but who cares? Because it's not about that. It's about the content. We had a good uh, listenership and participation. So thank you, the listener, for listening and watching. And what? Did you see the last comment? I don't know if you guys talked about this or not, about the Josh Harris group thing with the commanders. Uh, Ted, sorry. Hang on a sec. Ted says, breaking news, Josh Harris group put down $6 billion to buy the command. Wow. Yeah, they, uh, they're they wow. apparently willing to meet Dan Snyder's asking price. Wow. Which is, okay. which is interesting. Yeah. Um, then all he has to do is buy the Orioles, and he'll have a four-for-four four team up and down the eastern seaboard here. Probably all connected to the same electric grid. Um We'll keep an eye on that story. Thanks for listening. We got Pagan coming back. We got Craig coming back. Bob, thanks. Russ, thanks. We will see you guys next time.